The reading today is from the 13th chapter of the book Genesis, Genesis chapter 13. So Abraham went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. Abraham had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. From the Negev he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier, and where he had first built an altar. There Abraham called on the name of the Lord. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abraham, also had flocks and herds and tents. But the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abraham's herdsmen and the herdsmen of Lot. The Canaanites and the Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. So Abraham said to Lot, Let's not have any quarreling between you and me, or between your herdsmen and mine, for we are brothers. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Lot looked up and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan was well watered like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt towards Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out towards the east. The two men parted company. Abraham lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. The Lord said to Abraham after Lot had parted from him, Lift up your eyes from where you are and look north and south, east and west. All the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. So Abraham moved his tents and went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he built an altar to the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together as we come to look at uh, Genesis 13. We pray, Father, this morning that uh, as Abraham was guided by your promises, by your word to him, so we too might be guided by your promises and your word as we make big decisions in our lives. For Christ's sake, amen. I wonder if you've... um, had a time in your life, maybe in such a time now, 
when you struggled with your Christian faith. Uh, perhaps it was a dark night of the soul, so-called. Maybe, maybe uh, this sometimes happens, maybe a change of location uh, led to you not getting involved in a church and without regular fellowship, there was a drift away from Christianity or from church. Perhaps there has been a time in your life when you've had a kind of deliberate prodigal son-like rebellion and tolerated a sin in your life which has led to a sense of alienation from God, has spoilt the friendship with God that uh, Christ brings us. Maybe tragedy struck at some stage and you found it hard to love and trust God, felt that prayers were bouncing back off the ceiling and so on. Those things happen to most Christians at some stage, not all, of course, and if it hasn't been your experience, thank God that your journey of faith has been smooth and doubt-free. But many go through a time of struggle. I've shared before how I became a Christian when I was 18 in my gap year uh, and then came straight up to university here in Oxford. And there was a good Christian union in the university. There were live churches to go to. In the summer and Easter vacations, I went on Christian house parties, and that kept me going and gave me a foundation in my Christian life. After graduating, I worked for an organization called Help the Aged for a couple of years, and the work that I was involved in with Help the Aged was organizing sponsored walks and sponsored swims uh, to raise money, and they were always on Sundays. My biggest accomplishment in Help the Aged, in fact, was to organize something called a Help the Aged Dog Walk. And people turned up with some very decrepit-looking creatures, I can tell you. But, uh, but during that time, because I was working on Sunday, I was not really involved in a church at all and only hung on uh, to my Christian faith, in a sense, by a thread, by reading my Bible every day and saying my prayers. But I didn't feel particularly close to God, and it was rather remarkable, I suppose, in a way that those two years coincided with a growing sense of being rather reluctantly called into ordained ministry. But my testimony and my experience, and I think one that is confirmed in Abraham in, in Genesis chapter 13, the story of Abraham, is that God holds on to his people when they grow wander, uh, when they wander or grow weary. We, our hold on God becomes a slight, but God's, God holds on to us. Abraham had blown it horribly in Egypt. Uh, of course, he shouldn't really have gone there in the first place. He stopped promises, trusting in the promises of God when the famine hit Canaan and headed for Egypt, something that I'm sure he quickly came to regret, probably as much as those stuck in Shamal Sheikh at the moment regret going to Egypt as well. But uh, he certainly made a bad decision. And his desire to prosper, assisted no doubt by his thrusting young nephew, Lot, caused him, uh, when he was in Egypt, to make some bad decisions, which risked both his relationship with his wife, Sarai, and, of course, his relationship with God. Prosper he did, as we see in the story. He became rich in herds and silver and gold. He did very well out of Egypt, but at a cost, family disintegration. But chapter 13 finds Abraham, uh, Abraham as he's still called, on his way back to the promised land through the uh, Negev desert south of uh, Palestine, 
back on track with God, heading back into the promise of God. He's now rich, of course, because in his haste to get rid of them all, Pharaoh had dispatched them from Egypt with all their wealth. So he's got a great uh, caravan of people with him now and uh, has been a, a business success. Traveling through the Negev Desert, he comes back to Ai and to Bethel, from whence he had gone to Egypt. But this time, chastened uh, at his doubting of God's promise, he comes back to God. Let me just remind you of verse 4. It says that he came to Bethel and Ai, where he had first built an altar, and there Abraham called on the name of the Lord. So he came back to his altar came back to the place where he had made a commitment to God. And I want to suggest, before I get to the main thrust of what I want to talk about this morning, to suggest to you that that has to be our journey too. When we stray for one reason or another, when our faith grows weak, when we have a time away from God, there is only one altar via which we can return to God. It has to be the place where we began And the holy place for the Christ follower is not a physical sanctuary or an altar, but the cross of Calvary. Actually, this communion service serves very well for that purpose. We come to communion to remember the cross of Calvary, where Christ died for us, where his blood was shed for us. See, Lot pitched his tent, we're told, near Sodom, Uh, perhaps at times in your life, like me, you have done that or got dangerously close to pitching your tent near Sodom. Very dangerous place to be. Abraham, unlike Lot, pitched his tent at the place that he had first called on the name of the Lord. In other words, that's where he made his home. There's no conversion to Christianity other than via the cross. You cannot become a Christian unless you come to the cross of Christ and look upon the sacrifice that Jesus is making there for you and for me, dying in our place so that we can be forgiven and have the hope of heaven. That is the starting place. That is where we first call on the name of the Lord, at the cross of Christ. And there is no renewal of our Christian commitment other than at that cross. That is where our journey must come. Gaze afresh at the cross and know afresh, as John Newton, so the slave slave, uh, trader John Newton and great hymn writer, Amazing Grace, as John Newton put it, look at the cross and realize again, I am a great sinner, but I have a great Savior. Now, Lot's story uh, may be familiar to you, And it is worth just looking ahead, if you haven't done so recently, to the outcome of the row that erupts between Lot's herdsmen and Abraham's herdsmen. It's worth reading on in the story if you have time later today. And the heart of the story is the choice that Lot makes. And given the choice by Abraham, he chooses the best land. Just look with me at verse 10. Lot looked up and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, towards Zoar. His choice, Lot's choice, is made purely on material grounds. And if you've been to the Jordan Valley, as I expect some of you have been, you will understand why he made that choice. It was an entirely reasonable 
thing that he should do. Amidst the surrounding desert uh, of that part of the world, the Jordan Valley is like a fertile green pearl. Who would not choose it? And there is surely irony in the description of it being like Eden, on the one hand, very good, the garden of the Lord, to which we are all journeying, after all, that is, that is the story of the Bible. We're heading back to the garden, back to paradise. On the one hand, it looked like Eden, and on the other hand, it looked like Egypt, bad in the Bible. And significantly, of course, it led to Lot pitching his tent near Sodom, which is the epitome of bad in the Old Testament. So Sodom, uh, Lot makes a choice on the basis of sight, the material prosperity of the Jordan Valley. Not an unreasonable thing to have done, but it led to disaster. Abraham went into Canaan, the land of promise. Lot's personal life, his family, and his faith fell apart disastrously. On the other hand, God's promise to Abraham was renewed, verses 14 to 18, as you can see there, and he became the father of many nations, just as God had promised, and we know Abraham's, Abraham's story from then on. He began to walk in God's ways, and great things resulted. Two choices, one disastrous, but one that we might easily relate to, and one wise. How do we apply this to us? How do we make choices? First of all, let's, uh, let's eliminate the use of the Bible as a kind of magic guide. You know the kind of thing that I mean. Uh, a wife or husband struggling with their marriage or an anxious boyfriend uncertain about whether to ask his girlfriend to marry him opens his Bible and thinks, Lord, you must give me guidance. Guide me, please, in this terrible decision that I have to make. It's so difficult. I don't know what to do. And he, his Bible falls open at Genesis chapter 13, and he reads, let's part company. <laughs> you go to the right, and I will go to the left. And with great sadness, a beautiful relationship comes to an end. That, my friends, is how not to read the Bible. Uh, we may smile, and uh, we do smile, but of course, people do do that sort of thing. They really do. I suggest you don't. Let's less easily, I am sure, eliminate Lot's way of choosing, based entirely on materialist thinking, materialistic thinking. But also, let's be honest with ourselves. If we are not careful, this is how most decisions are made about where to live, what to do, how to spend our money, etc. David Jackman, writing on this chapter, puts it like this, and I quote him, it was rather good. He says, our choices do matter, but how many Christians really do ask God to choose where they will live? It is all too easy to choose on the basis of other things, the desirability of the house, the quality of the neighborhood, good schools, easy transport, closeness to doctors, or to friends and family. All of these are perfectly worthy in themselves. But the overriding question must be, where does God want me to be? What about God's plans and my commitment to doing His will in my life? Unquote. Now, I want to give you just two examples to help you think about this for yourselves and uh, 
only you can make decisions about your own future. Two examples uh, of what I'm talking about quite close to home. Last Saturday, I spoke at an outreach supper for uh, Burford Church, the Anglican Church in Burford, which is very thriving. Uh, They did brilliantly, actually. They got 80 people together uh, at the golf club uh, for a curry night. 50 of them, 50 of the 80, were not regular churchgoers at all. So it was a really good evangelistic opportunity. On our table, uh, I was there with Sue, was a couple who told us that they had recently moved from Cambridge, where they had a successful business, to Burford. So I asked the wife, uh, who had earlier in her life, she had told me, been a missionary actually uh, out in Indonesia, I asked the wife uh, why they had chosen to, move, to live in Burford. Why Burford? Why move to Burford? And she told me that it was a lovely place, uh, that they wanted in retirement to live in the countryside, and that uh, it was, they had settled very well. But I said, why Burford particularly? Why did you choose Burford? And she said, without a moment's hesitation, and I think I quote her exactly, she said, because there is a live church here where we can serve the gospel. So that determined her choice. They made a reasonable choice, weighing all sorts of things into, into, into consideration, but the decisive factor was that there was a church where they could serve. Or come closer to home. For a second example, Sue and I met as undergraduates here in Oxford. Actually, we met just by the lights at Marston Ferry Road, just up the road there. It's a sacred spot in our lives. Uh, And in due course, we got engaged and married, just as I started training for the ministry at Wycliffe Hall. Sue, who had a degree at Oxford University in modern languages from Somerville, had never really considered teaching as a career before she met me. She had other ambitions. But when she knew she was going to be a vicar's wife, She deliberately changed her ambitions in order to do a job that would fit in easily with what I was doing and a job that she could do in different parts of the country. So she went to teacher training college. And as you know, if you know my wife well, if you've worked with her on, say, the flower team, this is her creation in front of me, or if you have worked with her on the food bank, as some of you have, or teaching in Scramblers, which she was this morning, or if you had any connection with Witchwood School, where she was headmistress, you probably know that she could actually have run the country quite effectively instead of just running me. But uh, her career choice, therefore, was governed by faith and not by sight. And that's the difference between Lot and Abraham. That's the difference. Lot made a decision based on sight. Abraham made a decision based on faith. Now, we should not be totally uninfluenced by sight. Common sense is a good thing. It's no good being so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. But the bottom line in all our decision making must be the influence of our Christian faith. That must determine where we live, what we do, how we spend our money, who we make friends with, who we marry all the rest of it. All the big decisions of our life must be influenced by our Christian faith. We cannot live in a, with a dualistic view of life, that there are some things that are spiritual, sacred, and some that are secular and untouched by our Christian faith. 
if we do not make every choice, big and small, Christianly, then we stray, however slightly, towards pitching our tent near Sodom. And most Christians who fall away drift away. For most of us, it's drift. It's very, sometimes there's a dramatic rebellion, but usually there's a kind of drift of gradually getting less involved and less involved, less lazier in our spiritual life, lazier about Christian fellowship at church and so on. It's a drift away, exactly like Lot. You see, his decision uh, doesn't seem that crazy at first. The Jordan looked like Eden, looked like a sensible thing to do. But it took him towards association with people who were wicked. It took him away from the promise. He drifted into thinking like everybody else. And if, you don't, if you're not convinced by the disastrousness of his choice, turn with me to chapter 19 and verse 30. And let me read you the end of the story. Let me read you, remind you what Lot's choice led to. Genesis chapter 19 and verse 30. Lot and his two daughters left Zoar and settled in the mountains, for he was afraid to stay in Zoar. He and his two daughters lived in a cave. One day the older daughter said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is no man around here to lie with us, as is the custom all over the earth. Let's get our father to drink wine, and then lie with him and preserve our family line through our father. That night they got their father to drink wine, and the older daughter went in and lay with him. He was not aware of it when she lay down and when she got up. The next day, the older daughter said to the younger, last night I lay with my father, let's get him to drink wine again tonight, and you go in and lie with him, so that we can preserve our family line through our father. So they got their father to drink wine that night also, and the younger daughter went in and lay with him. Again, he was not aware of it when she lay down and when she got up. So both, Lot, both of Lot's daughters became pregnant by their father a disastrous choice that led to incense and disaster for his family. It seems to me that our society, as a society, is making that journey also. It is journeying towards the tents of Sodom. We as Christians must not go with them. We must not go with them. Our challenge is to hold on to the promises of God and walk in his ways. May every choice be governed by that thinking. Let's pray. I'm going to read a little bit from Hebrews chapter 11, where the writer to the Hebrews describes something of Abraham's story. He writes this, Hebrews 11, verse 8, By faith, Abraham, when he... When called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith he made his home in the promised land, like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God." So, Father, as your people journeying, journeying forward, we too look forward to that city whose architect is God. That is our journey's end. That is paradise refound. 
Keep us faithful on the road and protect us from bad choices. For Christ's sake, amen.